I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Now, there's one thing you might have noticed I don't complain about. Politicians. Everybody complains about politicians. Everybody says they suck. Well, where do people think these politicians come from? They don't fall out of the sky. They don't pass through a membrane from another reality. They come from American parents and American families, American homes, American schools, American churches, American businesses, and American universities, and they're elected by American citizens. This is the best we can do, folks. This is what we have to offer. It's what our system produces. Garbage in, garbage out. Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's beautiful episode, I got to have my friend, Mr. Stephen Kotler, on the show. Stephen needs no in- introduction, I'm sure. Uh, for one thing, it's his second time on the show. Uh, for another thing, he is ultra-renowned author, journalist. He is New York Times best-selling author of, uh, co-author of Abundance, uh, Rise of Superman, and then his most recent book, which we get into today, is Stealing Fire. Uh, I am presently recording this in Austin, Texas, in an airport, so if at any time you hear some random sounds or recordings in the background, that is, uh, the sounds of an airport. Um, in this conversation, we get into ecstatic states is the main thing and kind of this this undiscovered realm of what happens to our physiology our psychology in these spaces of dance and music and psychedelics and sexuality and trance states in general um really really fascinating his most recent book stealing fire is all about that and uh just the effect that it has on our culture its history over millennia so really fantastic hope you guys enjoy we have decoded an enormous range of so-called mystical experiences, trance states, out-of-body states, near-death states, meditative states, different types of prayer, speaking in tongues, sense presence, the feeling of like a god or a ghost being in the room with you. All this stuff has been decoded. We understand the mechanism. Thank you so much for tuning in to the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. Well, in there, you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find the self-care kit, and you will find 10% off on any Four Sigmatic purchases. I adore Four Sigmatic, um, really excellent company, providing the world with um, mushroom blends. So everything from cordyceps to lion's mane to shiitake to uh, reishi, all the really important medicinal mushrooms and therapeutic mushrooms that you can find, infusing them into teas and coffees really really beautiful taste and I utilize them especially when traveling every morning for breakfast before bed pretty much all the time so uh, really really appreciate those guys and we have a gift from Four Sigmatic uh, next we'll, we'll pick out the next five people that relieve reviews on the uh, for on the on iTunes for a line podcast and uh, we'll grab one of those people out of there and read the review and then um, whoever we read the review of will shoot you over some let's do cordyceps mushrooms or whatever you want. We can get in contact with each other and uh, yeah, shoot you over some, some, some mushrooms and so you guys can check them out. So thank you so much for those reviews. Greatly appreciate that. 
And uh, thank you so much for utilizing the affiliate link for Amazon on the website. That is a key to funding this show and keeping it going. Your support means the world. So if you can jump over there anytime you purchase anything off of Amazon, Please and thank you. Uh, utilize that link on aligntherapy.com, right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Just bookmark that, and then uh, we get about 7% of the purchases. It gets taken out of Amazon and put into the Align Podcast Foundation. Greatly appreciate all that. Um, I think we are good to go. No quotes today because I have to get on a plane to fly back to Los Angeles in about four minutes. I just wanted to wrap this up quick before I go. Just got back. I'm in Austin, Texas here. I was teaching over the weekend. And got to meet up with some radical Align Podcast listeners. So if you guys are listening now, it was amazing getting to meet you. Thank you so much for attending the workshop. And uh, keep staying in contact. I look forward to keeping continuing the conversation. All right, here we go. Back to the show with the legend, Mr. Stephen Kotler. Podcast. Yeah, anytime people start wearing costumes, that's that to me is like a red flag. It starts to. I, I start <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but within every dogma, there is value that I find, and so I have. I feel like I have gone through, extracted some kind of like thoracic mobility, awakening my Kundalini stuff, and then took that without wearing the cape. You know, so that's well, kind of where other, I come from. There is the other fundamental <laughs> problem, which is. You know, and I, I made this point a lot, which is science has looked at a great deal of spirituality at this point. And I'm recording right uh, now, by the way. Pardon me. I'm recording right now, by the way. Is that okay? I yeah, won't. I don't. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. We'll. We'll just. We're just gonna go. No, it's totally fine. Yeah. Great. Science has looked at a great deal of spirituality, and, the, and and we found, you know, a tremendous amount of answers. Right. Like we want to know how meditation changes consciousness we we have an idea we want to know what happens when people experience speaking in the in tongues and what that's about now we we have an understanding of that thanks to you know fmri and things like that but we've never ever to the best of my knowledge found ki chi or kundalini or whatever you want to call that right like people have tried to measure it for a very very long time so i you know i which is either means right our measuring tools can't find something that's you know it's smaller or bigger than our tools allow um and we can't find it yet or it's not there and you know it it can go either way but i am i get nervous when people want to have the conversation about you know spiritual energy because i don't know what that means like there's there's no that those are just words have you tinkered with breath work, like holotropic breathing or any of that kind of stuff by chance? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. What's your experience we, I mean, with that? Project, we do really complicated respiration cycles with people where we will, you know, demonstrate everything from, you know, really slow yogic breathing, meditative breathing into kind of basic holotropic breath work, things, stuff that Wim Hof is doing these days yeah. with, with, you know, with his extreme breathing practices. We'll use, you know box breathing which is what the navy seals deploy and we'll take people through a whole suite of like consciousness altering techniques via respiration um they all produce really interesting results with holotropic breath work we were doing a session over the summer at, at a workshop we were leading and uh i got the experience of uh the same experience you get from nitrous oxide from whippets right where everything fuzzes out and is gray yeah. um <laughs> 
and you know very clearly like everything just went and i did like i you know i didn't know that was possible you know stan groff when he developed holotropic breathwork was looking for a substitute for lsd for research purposes right um we do a half hour protocol which will get you the, the nitrous oxide experience you have to go about three hours uh which is really hard on your cheeks man um to get to get the psychedelic experiences but you know very effective techniques well, so the closest thing that I found to actually feeling like key or chi or what have you, this energetic life force going through my body, was <clears throat> heavy breath work for like 40 minutes or so. And it starts after 20, 20 or 30 minutes. But, but do you know that experience where your whole body is pulsating and eventually gets into what they call tetany, which is where you essentially like contract up? Have you experienced any of that stuff? Yeah, a little oh, bit. I mean, your extremities go numb. That's a that's a pretty. I mean, you know, that's a pretty standard breath hold experience. Take any kind of free hold breath dive training, um, you'll get that those same sensations as well. Um, it's, you know, you're tinkering, you're using respiration to, to alter biology at a really fundamental level. It shows up kind of across the board. Yeah, I wrote a quote down in preparation, which, by the way, you're uh, stealing fire. Honest to God, Not Blowing Smoke Up Your Butt is one of my favorite books that I've ever read. And I, as I'm reading it, I can't help but think that it's um, it's revolutionary. It's like going to change the world. It's it's kind of like a step off point to a larger shift. So. Anyways, I, I feel I feel that way. But there's a quote in there that I wrote down from from Alex Shulgin, and said I learned there were worlds inside of me, and understanding them became my quest. And I feel like things like that breath work, things like utilization of psychedelics, things like chanting, all that it starts like knocking on this door that there's something more happening than just you know paying my mortgage and such. You know, so I, thanks for that. I guess is a big thing. How? What? What inspired you to, to to create that book? Well, first of all, thank you. Um, I uh, I'm, I'm so glad it it landed so deeply for you. Amen. Yeah, and uh, you know, Alexander Shulgin is one of the great genius chemists of the 20th century. Right? Uh, did so much to kind of advance you know our understanding of through consciousness through his work on on, on psychedelics. Right? Was a, basically like you know, with full blessing of the U.S. government was a one-man, 60-year psychedelic experiment, essentially, um, with, you know, a tremendous amount of substances. It's amazing. When he started his work, there were um, basically three psychedelics that had kind of, we understood and we could manufacture and decode and that sort of stuff. By the time he was done, it was the, the, the numbers were over 200. So he, he really kind of, it, you know, massively advanced our understanding. Um, and that leads me to like where the book came from, which is there have been a lot of Alexander Shulgin's over the past 30 to 40 to 50 years working kind of surrounding a bunch of different non-ordinary states of consciousness, whether they're psychedelic states or flow states or meditative states or trance states or awe states. Um, people have been working on the research, people who have developed techniques to, you know, engineer these states. And as a result, you know, we're at the front edge of a giant revolution in, you know, like a $4 trillion underground revolution and people hacking consciousness to massively improve performance, which is the idea at the heart of Stealing Fire, the new book. And it emerged 
out of all this kind of research and application and everything else that had been going on for 50 years has sort of bubbled up to the surface, bubbled through our world because of the work we do with Flow at the Flow Genome Project and sort of exploded. And we were looking at this thing that, you know, was a lot bigger than, you know, either of us suspected my partner, Jamie Whelan, and, and myself, who I co-wrote the book with. Yeah, so my big curiosity in the world of the usage of psychedelics and such is, uh, well, I have lots of curiosities, but one of which is unwinding trauma in our body, you know? And so uh, my experiences with using any type of psychoactive substance is that it immediately turns into a body exploration, breath exploration. I kind of describe it as like cleaning house, organizing my house. And do you have you had that experience with that? Like, what's your your actual experience with using these substances? Well, substances, uh, you know, I we're in, in Steel and Fire. We're looking at a suite of non ordinary states of consciousness, right? We're looking at the ecstatic spectrum: so awe, meditation, flow, psychedelic states. Uh, contemplative states, technologically mediated states, sexually mediated states. So a, a big spectrum, right? Um, and you know, of out of out of that spectrum, my you know, he, the greatest healing for me, and a, kind of the root of this work was my work with flow and Lyme disease. I was very sick, spent three years in bed with Lyme disease, and you know, was sort of dragged to the ocean at a point that like I could barely walk across a room and, you know, was fighting for my life and was taken surfing. And that triggered an extremely powerful, alters did a very powerful, potent flow state. And over the course of six months when I was doing, you know, nothing more than, you know, surfing and having these very powerful altered state experiences, I went from, you know, completely, completely sick to almost you know, almost well. And my first question was, you know, how is that possible, right? How is a, how is it altered state of consciousness going to cure a chronic autoimmune condition? That didn't make any sense. And that sort of led me onto a giant quest, led me into the science of this stuff, very quickly realized that, you know, when you move into flow, actually, when you move into any of these altered states, the brain releases a host of neurochemicals. These, they do a lot of different things in the body. Most importantly, they, reset the nervous system. So when these chemicals swish into your system, stress hormones flush out, are replaced by these performance-enhancing feel-good neurochemicals, um, and that's phenomenal for an autoimmune condition, right, which is essentially a nervous system gone haywire. So by flushing all the stress hormones out, you can sort of reset to zero. And that's one of the weirdest things about you know Lyme disease. I guess maybe all autoimmune conditions, maybe all illnesses, and I just don't know enough, but after you've been sick for a period of time, you have no idea where normal is, right? So like getting, you know, getting into a state of consciousness that will reset you at normal and even better, these same neurochemicals don't just flesh out stress hormones, they also all boost the immune system. So that explained my experience. Herb Benson at Harvard has said he thinks flow states, this kind of process underpins a lot of examples of so-called spontaneous healing. So, you know, I personally found flow incredibly powerful. I think though, you know, to talk about what's in stealing fire for a second and stay on your topic, because my favorite bit of research in the book, um, the thing that continuously catches me is trauma research and it's research done on post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And, uh, they were looking at post-traumatic stress disorder in, uh, in soldiers and victims of child abuse and victims of sexual trauma. Um, and you know, it's a fairly devastating condition. There are, there's no real, you know, cure. SSRIs are, are the best we've got. 
and they they don't work all the time. They don't work for uh, the majority of people. Even women have a very hard time getting you know getting relief from PTSD with SSRIs. Um, and if you stop taking the drugs, the uh, whatever benefit they bring goes away immediately. So. Uh, and 25 million Americans suffer PTSD at any one time, right? So, but 10 years ago, eight years ago, uh, we started looking at, you know, other possibilities and they looked at three different kind of non-ordinary states of consciousness. The first thing that was examined was a psychologist took a look at MDMA. Could we use MDMA, which is kind of the empathedelic, uh, that, that is, you know, it's, it's ecstasy or molly, depending on, on your term, your term for the street drug. And, uh, Turn off my other phone. I apologize. You can blame that um, on me. That was, that was my phone. Nah, <laughs> no, it's really my bad. My wife calling Nevada. Tell me how house hunting is going. Mm. Anyways, um, and they, they so they looked at they looked at psychedelic therapy, MDMA therapy, and they found that one to three sessions with MDMA and talk therapy at the same time was enough to significantly reduce totally cure PTSD in soldiers and victims of child abuse and trauma. That was an astounding result, a crazy result. And uh, the results have held up. It's been about five years since the study, and everybody is still in remission. And But what was really interesting is they redid the study a couple years after the original one. And this time, uh, they did it at Camp Pendleton, California, with over 1,000 soldiers, and they switched the protocol. They replaced the MDMA, the drug, with surfing which is a very powerful flow trigger, right? And they found that five weeks of surfing produced very similar results, significant reduction in PTSD symptoms. A couple years ago, they redid the study again, this time with meditation, and the Defense Department discovered that four weeks of a mantra-based meditation, I think 20 minutes a day, was enough to produce very similar results. So three different ways to alter consciousness right? All treating the same condition, all producing sort of similar results. Um, that's what's really exciting here is we're starting to get to mix and match. The research is really changing the way we think about this stuff. It's getting really interesting. Yeah. So talking to you now, you, uh, you look quite sprightly, Stephen. <laughs> you know, so, so the thing that, that I am curious about with this stuff and like healing trauma and such, when I was at one of my like, you know, meditative guru, whatever things, one of the things that, that the guy had mentioned was that his guru told him that modern day people are like walking cesspools which sounds horrible but then i also there's a bright side to everything but i feel that myself where if i get a call from somebody that i didn't like you know whatever it is i'll feel my diaphragm contract a little bit i'll feel my spine tighten up a little bit you know so we feel these physiological responses in our physical the tonicity of our of our musculature have you noticed any kind of connection with that at all? <laughs> is that crazy? Yeah, well, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, yes, Aaron. Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. So um, in Stephen Fire, we talk about uh, 21st century normal, which is literally kind of the brain pattern of pretty much all of us all the time. And it's, it's three things to find 21st century normal, which is, um, a lot of activity in the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's right behind your forehead, right? This is the part of your brain that does complex decision-making and higher cognitive functioning, your sense of morality, your sense of will, lots of heavy thinking goes on there. Um, 
We also see 21st century normal is also brain waves, beta range, which is a fast moving wave. It's where we are when we're talking, listening to one another. And we see a steady drip drip of stress hormones like cortisol or norepinephrine. Right? This is 21st century normal. They, the, the term for it, they call, they call it uh, tired, wired, and chronically stressed is, is how we describe it, right? which is exactly the physiological response you were talking about. What's interesting about the uh, kind of suite of uh, non-ordinary states, we're talking about the ecstatic, uh, the ecstatic states, you know, flow and meditative states and psychedelic states and whatnot, um, is they shift this signature in a very profound way. That's the that's sort of the big deal here. That's where all kind of the performance enhancement and the healing from trauma, that's where all it comes from. And instead of hyperactivity in the prefrontal cortex, the activity dies down, it gets really quiet in your prefrontal cortex, that part of your brain dies down. Brain waves go from kind of agitated beta down to meditative alpha and theta, right? Much calmer, slower, contemplative rhythm. And uh, stress hormones flush out, and you get those five positive performance-enhancing neurochemicals. And this same shift occurs underneath all these states of consciousness, which is why even though we tend to think of them, they're in wildly different categories. Nobody thinks that you know zapping your brain with electrodes to knock out activity in the prefrontal cortex, right, which is what people are doing with transcranial magnetic stimulation for very powerful altered state is the same thing that soccer moms with yoga practices are doing. They don't, they seem very, very different, but yoga does the exact same thing. It decreases activity in the prefrontal cortex. It changes brain waves, push these uh, good, powerful neurochemicals into our system. So that's the big deal, right? All of these various state shifting practices are kicking us out of 21st century normal. So we're getting a lot of relief from anxiety, trauma. And then on, you know, on the back end, we're also getting a, a boatload of performance enhancement. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, the guy, Franklin Alexander, the Alexander technique guy I was reading about some of this. He was talking about, and one of the things that he mentioned was that, that inhibition of our musculature is like the king, you know? So most of us were just so stuck in engagement and you could say that with like the transient hypofrontality like 50 cent word for like you you turn your the front of your brain off for a second in these meditative states whatever you know but we're stuck in engagement you know and it's and it's rattling ourselves enough that you can finally just come out of that for a second and one of the things that you mentioned in, in the book was was uh, states becoming traits and that's i think that anybody that would have like anything negative to say about psychedelics or you know all these states would be like well it's just temporary you know, do you see a connection where the state can become a trait? Yeah, so it's a great question. And absolutely what the research shows is we move in that, in that direction. And, um, you know, the, a lot of this work sort of emerged out of the study of adult development, which is literally the study of how do adults grow up. And... You know, development, we, we, child development was something we, we thought about and studied a lot. We understood the terrible twos, the teenage years. These were distinct stages. Nobody really thought adults developed. It, we hadn't really looked at the problem. And when we thought about it, we didn't, we didn't really see it. Um, sure, you might be able to add new skill sets, but it didn't seem like we added levels of maturity. And then we took kind of a closer look. They started this, this work at Harvard almost 50 years ago. Um, and they did something nobody had ever done before, which is like actual research. They followed a group of adults as they aged over the course of 50, 60 years, right? And so, so it happened along the way. 
And what they discovered is that adults do go through these developmental stages. And at each stage, as you sort of move higher up, what you gain is wider perspective, right? You begin to be able to see yourself from outside yourself. You can see problems from all sides. Um, this leads to a lot more empathy, better decision-making, better empathetic decision-making, a lot more creativity because you have more perspective. And, and really, you know, a lot of the traits associated with wisdom and, and what's critical, I think, today is the ability to, because you can sort of solve problems, see problems from multiple sides, you gain the ability to solve so-called wicked problems. These are things where that define sort of like standard binary either or solutions, right? Traffic is a, is a wicked problem. You add freeway lanes, seems like it's the easy fix, and it turns out traffic gets heavier, right? There's no simple solution. So as you grow up, you build a model, you, you gain all these traits, and you gain the ability to solve wicked problems. Really important, really cool. Unfortunately, how the hell do you do it? And that was the question. And, you know, the research that Jim Collins in Good to Great wrote about this with his level five leader, his top of the top of the psychological leadership in, in businesses. And he said, but we don't know how to get there barring great personal tragedy. That was what we thought moved us up the scale and does. Absolutely. Um, didn't know if there were any other methods. And it turns out um, what kind of emerged on the side of this, this research is they started to notice that people who were higher and higher up on the developmental scale had rigorous sort of altered state practices. They experimented with psychedelics. They practiced martial arts for the flow it produced. They practiced action sports for the flow it produced. They had meditation practices or yoga practices. They had, you know, worked with psychologists and did all kinds of personal development, primal stream therapy, take your pick, right? There was a lot of this going on and First of all, that was incredible. The second thing they started to realize is that um, consciousness, it turns out, goes right to the bottom line. This was really incredible. This was work done by Bill Torbert at Boston College, and he was looking at uh, adult development in managers, top managers. And he looked at it, he was looking at like 500 different managers across industries, and he found that the, the people at the very top of, of the chart, the people who had the best jobs and the most power, were also the people at the top of the adult development scale. Um, and what was more interesting is even though these people at the upper level of the scale had 80%, you know, occupied 80% of the positions, they were only 10% of the broader population. So not everybody gets there, but getting there really, really, really matters and really even matters in business. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, I mean, is that Maslow's hierarchy? Is that like Abraham Maslow or is that, that's different kind of story? You know, um, I hadn't tried to put the, – there's, there there's obviously an overlap between the ideas. I hadn't really tried to put the two together. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, I think, you know, Maslow is talking about levels of need. Right. Um, and I think the upper – you know, what we're talking about here are probably, you know, the top two levels of Maslow, you know, moving into self-actualization. But yeah, I, I see some overlap. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. So I've been like intentionally taking a hiatus from traveling. I've spent a lot of winters just like doing big fuck off traveling trips. And 
one of the reasons that I I'm kind of discouraged from that is it pulls you it pulls you back into Maslow's hierarchy more into like find shelter, find a place to poop, find food, you know, and it kind of keeps you in that like scurrying place. But to get to that point where you can kind of sit back and start working on your breath work or meditation or dance or whatever it is. Yeah, have you noticed have you have you witnessed that at all in like your when you're traveling places do you ever feel the hierarchy kind of spike, spectrum change or is that is that crazy? Yeah, the, I, I, I'm thinking. I'm listening to you talk about it. I'm thinking about it as you talk, and um, it's a really neat question. <laughs> and what I see, you know, when I'm traveling, uh, when there's a lot of pull at my attention, my resources, yeah. um, I find, you know, what I find myself, I always crave the same thing, which is the quietude of like, I what I want when it's crazy. Yeah. What I want is morning spent writing afternoon spent skiing evening spent you know with my wife in a bathtub <laughs> yeah absolutely i feel that uh, so you so i look at you kind of sort of like a mentor from afar from reading your books or from getting to talk to you on here and you know uh, seeing you further down the lifeline is there anything that you've witnessed in, in your own adult development like going back to like age 30 like tangible distinguishable differences in the way that your brain has formed over the last you know what i'm saying okay so I, first of all let's just start at the beginning which is i think <laughs> using my name and adult development in the same sentence isn't that great dubious i'm setting i'm setting you up i'm your premise sir but <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> You know, I, there are so many, you know, just simple, simple sort of dumb lessons along the way um, that, you know, take decades to learn. At least they do for me, you know. Um, but I think, you know, I'm just I'm a lot calmer now. Uh, and I think at a much bigger scale. And those are two things that have, have really shifted for me. You know, I've always sort of liked to kind of level up my game. Whatever I do, the next thing I do, I want it to be slightly harder and slightly harder. This, you know, this really goes on. It's sort of like something invisible with each of my books. Nobody even, nobody notices it. But each of my books is, you know, there are some ideas I want to communicate and all that stuff, but there's a writing challenge tucked into them, right? Like I did this thing last time. I learned how to do it. Now I want to take it you know, a step harder, raise the challenge level, raise the challenge level, raise the challenge level. Um, so that I, you know, I play that, I play, you know, and that's, that's with everything I do. I think a lot of people are that way. Um, so stuff has gotten bigger and, you know, I found that, you know, I have to spend more time. It's not possible to do the stuff I do now without a very specific program designed to alter my consciousness on a regular basis, variety of different ways. Right. But like whether we're talking about meditation or action sports or, you know, take your isolation tanks, take your, take your pick. Um, I've had to get very, very rigorous with how, you know, how I deploy these states of consciousness in my life. And I, and you know, it's not just me. That's what we've seen with pretty much every successful person. You know, the more successful they get, the more they lean on these state changing technologies and the more that more they're, you know, they're deployed throughout for impact. 
Yeah. Well, so that's what I see with, um, like, so I utilized cannabis, maybe, you know, present, whatever today's date is, you know, 2017, like three to five days, evenings a week, specifically to clean up my cesspool, you know, so I'll do it at like 9 p.m. and I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll turn the lights down low and I'll dance and I'll do yoga and I'll write and I'll, you know, these things are kind of like reorganizing myself. And I think that culturally we don't have that. In fact, we kind of like poo-poo on that a little bit like having alone time to really introspect and go in is that kind of is that kind of what you're getting at with with yourself well one of the things that i yes and you know in stealing fire we talk about four forces right four forces that are driving kind of this revolution forward um and and there's psychology neurobiology technology and pharmacology and um you know sort of the four domains that surround altered states. And you just gave a phenomenally cool example of shifts in psychology, which is, you know, one of the reasons psychology is driving this change forward is over the past 50 years, it's massively expanded kind of our versions of ourselves, who we are in the world and and what's permissible and possible. And, you know, think about, go back to the fifties and the sort of accepted socially accepted versions of self. These are stereotypes, but there's a lot of truth underneath them. And on, you know, on the female side, it was sort of Betty Homemaker, the kind of stay at home super mom. And on the male side, it was the John Wayne type, strong and silent and masculine, right? And that's, that's who we were, who we were aspiring to be. It was a very tight box. And 60s come along, 70s come along, we get you know, Esalen and personal development and psychology widens out the spectrum and, you know, the psychedelic revolution takes place. And, you know, until we end up where we are today, with which is with, you know, a transsexual victorious secret runway model, you know, walking down the runway to a standing ovation, right? That's we, we have widened out. Psychology has changed so much that we've gotten huge permission to explore these states of consciousness. So you get to get stoned and dance, right? And, you know, and, and and not just get stoned and dance in private, you can get stoned and dance in public. You're talking about it on a podcast that's, you know, gonna go out to the world, not, not a problem, right? So psychology has radically shifted yeah. who we could be in this world. And as a result, you get to kind of, you, you've found a way to like put a state changing moment into your week three to five day, nights a week, you've got this little yeah. routine. And the reason you can execute it is because we're not who we used to be. And there's a lot of freedom there. Yeah. What is What does your routine look like? You, you mentioned, you mentioned yours. What's, what's like, what are some of your practices? Well, you, you, you know, my practices, my dogs are kind of going crazy. And that's um, probably, that's probably one of the practices, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, we're just going to pick dog. the troublemaker. Yeah, oh, get him in there. <laughs> this is JJ. What's up, JJ? He's a mint and they're very talky. Um, so uh, I think JJ may be the first dog to join me on a podcast. Nice. So here we go. Um, but, uh, and you're right, uh, dogs are, dogs are part of it. So, um, you know, I tend, my, my practice tends to focus on, on action sports and all, on, on writing, you know, writing the pattern recognition underneath writing can trigger dopamine and it's a state changing tech, you know, chemical. And, uh, so, you know, everything from like, I pop out of bed, you know, I, at four o'clock in the morning, uh, pretty much every morning. And I like to be at my desk within 
under five minutes because you wake up, your brain waves are still in alpha theta, right? right there in right. theta when you're asleep. They're moving towards alpha as you're starting to wake up. I try to get to my desk before they pop out of alpha. So I'm writing when my brain, you know, alpha, one of the, one of the signatures is you're not really attached to anything, right? You're not locking onto ideas, so you're flitting from idea to idea very gently. It's sort of like daydreaming mode, right? That's a very useful mode for creativity. So I'm jumping out of bed trying to get to my desk, you know, in under five minutes to do that, hitting myself with some coffee for, to focus it, but like, you know, get going. When I my writing session's four or five hours long, and, and or three, four hours long, let me not exaggerate, but usually, you know, ending around 7.30, 8 o'clock, um, you know, I end that with usually like a, a three-minute, five-minute yoga kata just to sort of shift my state out of that. Then I, you know, then the dogs get to, I, you know, my wife and I run a, run a dog sanctuary, right? We run a nonprofit, do hospice care and special needs care and all that. And uh, the next thing that happens is the dogs and I go for a walk into the back country, right? And exercise you mentioned transient hypofrontality exercise induced transient hypofrontality is what happens when you walk for about a half an hour and you stop thinking you've tired out your brain a little bit you're deactivating the prefrontal cortex your sense of self your inner critic those are going quiet right you're getting into a more expansive state i have dogs in my life there's a uh altruism triggered flow state known as helper's eye it was discovered by alan lukes who founded big brothers big sisters right back in the 90s and he found that altruism can produce a really powerful flow state. Sometimes it lasts a day, sometimes two. Everybody has a little taste of this. If you've ever, you know, you've given it a charity auction or to Kickstarter or something like that, get that little rush of pleasure, the little rush of dopamine. That's a tiny microscopic taste of, of helper's high. And, you know, of course, at the, at the very center of everything I do is hurling myself down mountains at high speeds as often as possible, right? you know, skiing, downhill, mountain biking, surfing, take your pick. You know, I've really, I really prioritize these things. They're at the very center of my life. Um, and everything, you know, everything gets built around them, you know, to the point that like I try to tilt my calendars. So I, you know, do way more work, you know, in spring and fall so I can ski in the winter and mountain bike in summer. I find it interesting that the separation that, you know, it's like with social media and all the things like we're more connected than we've ever been before, but at the same time, we're kind of becoming more disconnected, you know, and I think that one of the things that you mentioned in the book that I thought was really, really great was the, the down regulation of the right parietal lobe, you know, and so that, and so what that ends up translating to is the feeling of kind of like merging with the couch or merging with each other or, you know, and I experienced that with things like dance, things like even like having a good hug, you know, is, is that, does that spill into other, other parts other than just like deficiency or, or psychedelics? Well, yeah. I mean, so if, if, if stealing fire really emerged from any place for me, I think it sort of emerged from the research underneath this. So, um, 1997, Andy Newberg, who's the, uh, he's a neuroscientist at the university of Pennsylvania. And, he literally he, he doesn't make this decision consciously, but he, he sort of bets his career on an investigation of spirituality. He wants to decode cosmic unity, the feeling of becoming one with everything, which you're sort of talking about. And it's, you know, it's the most common mystical experience. It shows up in pretty much every every religion that, that's existed. Um, uh, Aldous Huxley called it the perennial philosophy, right? 
Buddhist monks call it absolute unitary being, oneness with the universe, Franciscan nuns, it's unium, uh, unia mystica, oneness with God's love. And he wants to know, and he wants to know where it's, where it's coming from. So he takes pictures of the brains of Tibetan Buddhists and Franciscan nuns during moments of ecstatic meditation, right? When they are feeling one with everything. And he discovers exactly where this is coming from. He discovers that the right parietal lobe is the part of your brain that it sort of helps you separate self from other. It helps you navigate a crowded room, not bump into the furniture. People who have a stroke or brain damage to this area, they, they have trouble sitting down on a couch because they don't quite know where their leg ends and the couch begins. And he found that, you know, profound focus and attention triggers an efficiency exchange. The brain says, give me more energy for focus. Let me shut down non-critical structures. This particular case is the right parietal lobe and deactivates. And suddenly you can't tell the difference between self and other than the brain concludes. It's got to conclude, hey, buddy, at this moment in time, you are one with everything. And what's crazy about that and why this is, you know, super important is so 19, he does this in 97. In 1996, you walk into a doctor's office and say, doc, I feel one with everything. And you're going to the nut house, right? 1997, suddenly we have an explanation. 2017, over the past 20 years, we have decoded an enormous range of so-called mystical experiences, trance states, out-of-body states, near-death states, meditative states, different types of prayer, speaking in tongues, sense presence, the feeling of like a god or a ghost being in the room with you. All this stuff has been decoded. We understand the mechanism. And even cooler, what's neater is not only have we, we figured out how to trigger this stuff, so we now have technologies that stimulate the right parietal lobe in various ways or the right temporal lobe, different parts of the brain. And they're producing all of these experiences. You want to have an out-of-body experience? We have VR technology that, that can give it to you. You want to, you know, experience deep, deep meditation what monks spent 30 years, you know, training to get. We have kind of neurofeedback technology that can get you there in a couple of weeks. So it's getting, you know, really interesting. But to me, like that feeling of, of oneness with everything, that was, I, you know, I met Dr. Newberg back in 1999 when I was writing my second book. And this, some of this work kind of filled, fluid, flowed into that book. And I, I've known, I've known Andy since then. He's on our board at the Flow Genome Project, and you know we remain really close friends. And it's just amazing. I remember when, when, when we first met, neither of us, we, you know, he told me that he really didn't think we would get very far decoding any of this stuff in his lifetime. He thought it was going to move very slowly. We were just at the front end. N nothing possible could have, you know, said, take 20 years from now, we're going to have a really deep understanding of this, but we have, and it's, you know, it's going to lead some really interesting places. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, something that can potentially bother me sometimes around the world of like biohacking and all that stuff is I think it can be confused with, with laziness, you know, and, and, and not actually working intrinsically with ourselves instead, just take some nootropics and do some neurofeedback, you know, whereas I think there's something that you can get out of something like surfing, you know, or flying a kite or reading a book or putting yourself in uncomfortable situations that you're just never going to get out of, a stimulant or a supplement or cables attached to your brain. Do you, do you see any kind of, kind of friction there between that? 
Well, you're t- I mean, you're talking about the classic skin, what's called the you know the skin bag bias, mm. and it's you know we we talk about it as one of the one of the reasons people haven't noticed kind of this ongoing revolution in all of it. The skin bag bias is really simple that we trust states of consciousness that arise naturally inside the skin bag, right inside our body, um, and we distrust those that are technologically or pharmacologically mediated. We, it, it's sort of no pain, no gain. If you're, you're going to put in all the effort to learn to meditate and spend 10 years on that cushion and it alters your consciousness, well, that state that it produces is true and reliable and trustworthy. And if you're going to pop a pill to get there, well, no, that's crap. That's total bullshit, right? That's not real. And, you know, the interesting thing is um, people have been having this debate now since the 1800s in North America, right? Like it, it goes all the way back to, you know, Benjamin Blood and early research with nitrous oxide and William James trying to, it goes on and on. Um, you know, the, the, the most famous experiment ever run with psychedelics was, it, the Good Friday experiment was an attempt to settle this exact debate, right? So you're not the only one feeling this way. There's a long history there. And, you know, what the research tends to show is they're equivalent. There's, we may privilege one or the other, but they're changing the brain in the exact same way and the benefits are the same. Yeah, there's, uh, have you seen, there, there's, the, there's various studies in, around like the difference between visualizing, shooting, the one that I've read recently was visualizing shooting free throws then versus mm-hmm. not shooting free throws and then the other, it might have been in your book actually. I know I read it somewhere else, but I feel like you could have. No, it was us, but. Okay. <laughs> I think there is there, there is some legitimacy to that, to just sitting on your couch and visualizing being awesome, you know. But there's something about going out and shooting free throws, you know. I, I think the best players are going to be the ones that combine the two worlds, and it's just, do you know well, what I'm saying? Yeah, and I mean that research is all over. I mean that they have that same research with strength, right? That's where this research gets really weird, where yeah, you know strength. they look at lifting weights versus visualizing. Uh, do lifting weights versus doing nothing versus versus visualizing lifting weights and you know lifting weights gives you the most strength but literally the people who are just visualizing lifting weights they show a marked significant increase in strength over the same period right and the the do nothing group nothing happens to um so different you know ways of interfacing with the brain right producing spectacular results same thing you know in a sense, we talk about embodied cognition, right, which is a kind of the new idea in science that, hey, we're not just heads on sticks. Our brains are full body affairs, yeah. right? There's as many neurons in the gut and the heart as there are in the brain. And this whole body network allows us to alter consciousness. Yeah. Amy Cuddy at Harvard yeah. discovers that, you know, standing in a, in a powerful pose can drop cortisol levels, raise testosterone levels, you know, pr- produce state change at a really significant level. So I think we're starting to surround this problem and, 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 and really, you know, we're learning tons of neat stuff. Yeah, there's another, there's a, some fancy fancy term called the polyvagal theory. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. But essentially that, you know, our communication capacity and facial gestures and hand gestures and all these things was built on top of this, you know, more like mammalian reflexes. You know, and so when I change my face, that relates to like the Amy Cuddy study, that's directly connected to my... My heart and my intestines and my stomach and all this deeper, 
deeper uh, gut business. You know, and again, we think of ourselves as just head on sticks, but every formation of this that you have directly connects into our guts and into the rest of our body, our physiology. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, the class, the, the, the great research, I mean, there's, you know, Paul Ackman did the foundational research on that idea, but the really, the, you know, the crazy stuff was Botox, right? Yeah. Because people start taking Botox and they, you know, they inject Botox in the frown lines. People can't frown anymore and they suddenly find themselves significantly happier, right? And it's because our, our facial gestures, our, our facial muscles are hardwired into our emotions, right? You can't have one without the other. So if you can't frown, you can't feel unhappy, happiness increases. Right. Um, and, you know, all the outside of the other, it is, you know, people with Botox lose the ability to feel empathy as well, right? Because they can't mimic other people's facial expressions, so they can't get their neuron neurons to work, so they're not feeling any empathy. Yeah, yeah, the same thing happened with kids uh, being taken off of technology, staring at cell phones that became more empathetic to being able to pick up other people's facial expressions. When you were in, uh, we'll wrap up here, up here kind of soonish, but when you were... Um, you were pretty much like on the brink of death type feeling at one point in your life, right? Is that is that accurate? When I was sick with Lyme, yeah, I was, I was not okay. So let's let's Lyme's not fatal unless it gets into your brain, and mine never got into my brain. Um, and but there was, you know, there were long. <laughs> It took him nine months to figure out what was wrong with me, maybe longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think nine months is about right. And, you know, it felt like it had, you know, I felt like I was dying for a lot of it. There, yeah, there was a lot of that, but, um, you know, not as dramatic as many other experiences that people have had. Yeah, so many people, so like Eckhart Tolle is an example of this, where when he was, I think, 29, he was like pretty much in the brink of insanity, and then he ended up spending a couple years, like he had the, the lights on moment, and then he was in like this state of bliss for a couple years, hanging out in the streets of London. I, th I think that's the story. Did you have any kind of like Eckhart Tolle type experience? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, as I told you, I, you know, I was drag surfing and, you know, that first time when I stood up on that first, on that first surfboard, I stood up into a dimension I didn't even know existed, right? Like I felt like I could see out of the back of my head. I had panoramic vision. I felt like I was floating outside my body. Um, I felt great, clear headed, pain free for the first time in, in, in years awake, which was kind of, you know, a crazy experience so you know that was that that was my experience with it and, and those, those experiences kept repeating and you know were extremely powerful and meaningful yeah. to me i don't think kind of you know as nearly as profound or strange as eckhart tolle's experience on that park bench but right. <laughs> you know nonetheless yeah. So uh, I think that that's the interesting thing. We, we always get to the point where discomfort, as opposed to like leaning into it and being able to gather something from it, we pull back and we put the air conditioning on or we put the heater on or we grab a pillow or, you know, fill in the blank thing. You know, we look at our Facebook instead of actually experiencing what loneliness feels like. You know, did, was there any kind of like, did you have any kind of dance of coming back into yourself from that depleted place? Like some kind of like, way of navigating out of that or does it just kind of happen that's kind of a big weird question i apologize yeah i, I, I am honest to god i'm not going to answer because I, I don't i don't know what the, i don't i don't have an answer for you i mean you know i remember the the thing that that sticks with me which is this the the kind of the the smaller parts of it um i remember you know 
slowly sort of like coming back into my life. Uh, I remember like being able to use my body again, bit by bit by bit, um, which like Lyme, one of the things it does is, you know, it's, it's hell on your body. And, you know, a lot of people, um, it induces a kind of arthritis that can be so terrible that it can twist your limbs um, into really grotesque shapes and things like that. I, it was not that extreme for me, but sort of the, just giving the pain going away and coming back into my body was a radically new sensation. Being able to move my body was a radically <laughs> being able to write was a crazy new sensation. Yeah. Um, yeah, the um, one of the things that you had mentioned in the book that I thought was super fascinating was the usage of psychoactive substances by animals and nature. That it's like a ubiquitous thing. You know, if you have sentience, you generally there's some urge to explore kind of like the Alex Shulgin, like the deeper aspects of that. And you mentioned like the dolphins and the puffer fish and such. What do you think? Do you have any thought of like what what that is? How we get drawn to this stuff? What what the purpose of oh, this yeah, is? I mean that, that 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 to me is is um, not a mystery, right? Like one of the one of one of the things we know about that is is why it happens. Right? We've we've discovered that pretty much every every mammal on, on the planet and a lot of birds and insects have found ways to alter their consciousness. You know, whether it's hitting them heads on the heads with stones or elephants drinking fermented, you know, bog water or, you know, jaguars taking ayahuasca, you know, it, it's sort of everywhere in, in the animal world. Humans are no different, right? Kids are going to spin in circles, roll downhills, hyperventilate to change their consciousness. And, you know, adults are, are you know, different. And, and the reason is there's sort of like there's two options. Evolution gave us two op- options when facing scarce resources. We can compete. We can fight over those resources, or we can try to make new resources. And to make new resources, you need a lot of kind of creativity and imagination. And you got to get out of standard ways of thinking. And that's what altering our consciousness does. So they talk about kind of the urge to alter our consciousness, the urge towards intoxication as a, as a fourth evolutionary drive, as powerful as our kind of urge towards food or water or sex or shelter. Right. And, um, and it's because it's the very technology evolution has given us to innovate and, uh, you know, to think creatively. It's creative problem solving. Yeah. So that's it's built in. It's part. It's a fundamental part of being human. Yeah. Are there any questions that that you haven't been asked around the, the book, or that's just this topic in general that you think would be that you really like would be relevant, or is, have you well, been asked them you all? Know, I haven't been asked them all at, at, at all, for sure. And I, you know, I, when, I always say that the, the, one of the main reasons I do this stuff is I'm really like, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to the next question, right? Uh, so I want to like, I, I try to write in such a way that I can establish or help establish something of a language for these ideas, a way right. for us to talk about them. And, you know, I, I come at it scientifically because it gives us something we can all agree on, right? And so we, and, 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 so, and what I'm hoping is to get us to the next question. You know, the, the one that the one that fascinates me most, that you know has inspired me from the beginning, and is not answered. But I'm curious to you know where does the information come from? And what I mean by that is, right. um, these are information-rich states, right? In these states, um, 
all of the brain's information processing machinery gets heightened. We take in more information per second. Salience increases, so we pay more attention to that information. Pattern recognition goes up, so we find links between that information and other ideas. Uh, breakthroughs go up because we find links between those other ideas and really disparate, far-flung, nearly forgotten thoughts. And so the whole sort of creative problem-solving process gets surrounded here. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that, you know, you could say that life is a process of remembering, you know, everybody's heard that kind of thing. And it gets into the kind of the concept where it's like shamans in the Amazon discovering that you need to have the Macruna plan or whatever the MAO inhibitor to go along with the tea with, with ayahuasca in order to That's actually, word I didn't know. Good job. where the hell does that come from? You know, and that's kind of, it's like tapping into that universal consciousness, even saying stuff like that. I'm like, Oh boy, people are dropping off, <laughs> but, but there's something to it. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Yeah. Um, I've got a crazy dog behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So where do where do where do um, where do people learn more about about the about the, you about the book? Yeah, stealing stuff. Stealingfirebook.com cool. is is great. Stephen Kotler, S T E V E N K O T L E R dot com, and uh, the Flow Genome Project dot com, and uh, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of free stuff on you know at, at each of those sites. Lots of information. Yeah, cool, man. Well, sweet. Yeah, I am I am super grateful to be kind of like I don't know, just involved in this wave of changing people's perspective. Not that I'm you know any any big part of that, but just I'm in the ocean with it, you know. And, and I really see kind of like like a '60s revolution type thing happening again in the 2010s or 20s or whatever that is. Do you do you have a sense of that? Of like, do you feel a conscious shift happening? Yeah, I mean, I, conscious shift is a first of all. Um, you know, I thank you for what you do because you you are part of this and you're helping to kind of drive it forward and it's important. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I you know, I think the '60s is one example. There are lots of different you know examples of times in history where we've tried this before, and most of them go horribly wrong, right? They've been disasters. They've ended, you know, the hedonism gone off the rails, top-down control coming in. A freaking mess over and over and over again throughout history, right? In the book, we talk about it. We date this stuff back to the Greeks. I think what's different this time is I think, uh, you know, these four forces, right? Technology, psychology, biology, pharmacology um, are giving us a uh, something of a middle path, right? Like we don't ha we don't have to we hopefully we can steer this time and not and not crash the car, right? We are gaining insight into uh you know states of consciousness that we've never understood any other time before in history or figure out ways to you know dial these things with increasing precision take these experiences to scale yeah. right used to be a handful of people dancing around a campfire now it can be you know a hundred thousand people at an event like burning man um so it's getting really you know it's getting interesting that way and you know there's no guarantee we're not gonna blow ourselves up again yeah right but you know, the, the, with this information, we do maybe have a middle path and that, you know, ultimately that was the point we made in Stealing Fire that like for the first time in history, we've got a, a chance for a different kind of ending. 
and you know and, that, and that's what the book looks at yeah cool man well sweet well thank you so much man i really appreciate your time and everything you're doing if you ever at any point down the line have any interest in speaking at any of these like conscious movement whatever festivals i i teach at a lot of them i do movement workshops so um i don't know if that's something if you're into this like no, that's, a good, that's, a, that's a great offer let me think about it and, and we can talk about it yeah you know awful for sure yeah yeah cool man all right thanks so much man appreciate it thank you yeah i'll see you soon Great, man. That was great. Align Podcast. Thank you once again for uh, for Sigmatic, for supporting this podcast and for bringing such a radical product to the world. Uh, I utilize the Cordyceps and Lion's Mane before any workout movement session that I do. Uh, Chaga mushrooms every morning as I'm traveling. I always bring along some type of mushroom blend for immune support and just overall vitality. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Tim Ferriss has been loving that. Sean Stevenson, I believe, from the Model Health Show as well has been getting down on those. Um, So they are spreading like wildfire and I highly recommend you checking them out. Um, Jump on to foursigmatic.com slash align for 10% off of your purchase. I can't recommend it more. Uh, foursigmatic.com slash align. F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash align and you will get 10% off of any purchase from Four Sigmatic. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast. If you guys want to show some support, show some love for what we're doing here, um, you can jump on the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. And then from there, uh, a couple things you can do. One of which you could actually donate through Patreon. There's a link on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Uh, You can utilize the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, Anytime you or anybody you know buys some crap on Amazon, please and thank you bookmark that link every time you do it we get something like seven percent of your purchase and it helps support this show it is awesome so great as well something you could do that is ultra helpful if you or anybody that you knows um, has ears and likes books uh, tell them to check out the audibletrial.com slash align that's a-u-d-i-b-l-e trial.com slash align and then from there that is uh, you get a free audio book from audible they have something like i don't know a bajillion different titles to choose from uh one that i would recommend that i got from them was shantaram i it's a huge book and uh again all free no matter what size the book you get and that got me through i listened to that as i was traveling through morocco and uh, just really really amazing website uh, amazing service couldn't recommend it more and uh, it kicks us down some scratchola every time you guys utilize that free thing costs you absolutely nothing and you get a free audiobook and you support the show boom um thanks so much for reviews on itunes that's greatly appreciated and thanks just in general for listening thanks for supporting thanks for for spreading the word all right i can't express enough how much i appreciate all that if you guys ever have any questions or comments you feel free to email me directly at aaron at aligntherapy.com and i would love to talk all right see you guys Thank you for listening, and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one, and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.